Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Cameron, how are you feeling this week? Good, man. I mean, I've got a cardigan on with my, my buddy, and I'm, I'm just ready to shout out some clouds. Old man talk. Here we go. So, hey, I think we're going to be in a little bit of an opposite role today, because I have actually some positive things to say. Mm-hmm. Actually, I do, too. So, yeah. Um, not everything. Let's not go hog wild <laughs> here. Um, but there's some there's some good experiences to be had in Magic the Gathering this week. Um, and I do want to prep our listeners. Next show, which I don't know precisely when we're going to do. You and I haven't discussed that, because we're not that organized. A more organized show would have done that by now. But... Um, that's when we're going to do our year-end thing. We talk about our favorite sets, favorite cards, things, trends of the year. Do you want to mention, we will not be talking about secret layers, and I think I'm comfortable speaking for both of us, alchemy content will also not appear or really be relevant to our new release, like rankings and listings. Cameron, I have to ask you, though, I did watch the professor's video on secret layers, how many secret layers do you think came out this last year? Oh, gosh. Um, Keep in mind, it's not over, so this is not a definitive number. <laughs> There's still time. One could, yeah, one uh, could I hop mean, out from behind the curtain that you're standing by right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, is five a good number? Is that laughable? It is. It is, in, oh, in fact, gosh. hilarious. The correct answer is 72. No. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Okay. <laughs> Um, he opens his video reading them all out loud and, uh, it's, it's good, solid stuff. Now I should say there were horoscope themed secret layers. So that makes up 12 of the 72. No, wait, are there 12 signs? Guys, you can tell I really care a lot about horoscopes. (laughs) Um, there's some number of them that are for one for each sign. And I'm, I know Cameron, as a horoscope enthusiast, you ran out and grabbed them all, mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. them for your friends that you knew were Tauruses or Cancers or whatever, um, except for the one that doesn't like gifts. You didn't give that one, which we all know is a Capricorn. <laughs> See, I'm just making this all up, but it probably sounds it right. It sounds right. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, I think we've, that is the extent of my knowledge. I'm going to put knowledge in quotes there. <laughs> but... My understanding of what uh, people who follow that kind of thing believe. Um, all right. Without me being completely uh, dismissive, Cameron, I want to hear about you playing Magic the Gathering this week. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so I've played a lot of Explorer this week, and you know what? There's some differences. I did not see a lot of black-red, which was awesome. That's great. Um, I bet I, you saw a lot of something else. <laughs> I played a lot of um, some newish cards in the blue-red vein and the mono-green vein. Um, and I'm not playing the correct mono-green vein, as in mono-green devotion. What I'm playing is elves, because why not? I had a lot of the elves cards to begin with, so I just kind of jammed something together based off of a couple of lists that I saw. Um, so just my experience is seeing the format right now. Mono green seems to be really, really good. I see a lot, a lot, a lot of blue red, um, and not a whole lot of anything else. 
But um, I will say the 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 elves deck. It's a black a black green elves deck running uh, shaman of the pack, and then collected company, and just a bunch of you know your mana dorks and all this chancellors and whatnot. So it attacks in two different ways. One of which is just getting a you know critical mass of elves and swinging with those but on top of that with shaman of the pack collected company that sort of thing you can just outright kill your opponent with eight damage you know or or whatever just based off of how many elves you have on the battlefield so um really really like this deck uh it it's early on in the week it's definitely like gotcha you know that sort of thing but it's not the sort of deck that i think will be long-term playable i think there's a lot of ways that this thing can just fold um namely wraths um you know and that sort of thing so like this sort of deck um like this blue white would just have a field day with it um the other thing i've been playing is a couple different variations of blue red one of which is a blue red young pyromancer with um the blue red human and ledger shredder um which is whatever like having things like fiery impulse is great in mm. that mm-hmm. you know um and i just have to play anytime i can play young pyromancer i will jam it in whatever right it's just it is I, your card it dude. is my card um but the blue red phoenix list is quite good um very very good and um <laughs> based off of your suggestion i did suit up that and when you play against mono green it just doesn't matter Swing away, man. Go ahead. <laughs> it's awesome. So anyway, I've, I've had some really good experiences this weekend playing uh, Explorer. Same. So I want to just heap some praise on Explorer Anthology 2 because it is sneaky, probably the best anthology we've ever gotten. Hmm. Uh, there is a lot of meat on this bone, and... In subtle ways. I think you just pointed out one of the big ones, which is Fiery Impulse. That has a massive impact on the format, and it's not very apparent mm. uh, until you actually play with it how like good that card is in Blue-Red Phoenix uh, compared to Strangle, which was your other option. Now, it is worth pointing out that Fiery Impulse doesn't hit Planeswalkers, and sometimes when you're playing Phoenix, you need to hit Narset. If you're against, because that's really the way that the blue white deck beats you is with Narset, right? Mm Because you can't really do anything. But my experience is playing against mono green devotion a lot. Hmm. Like, I'd say 75% of my matches have been that. And uh, that's probably an exaggeration, maybe half the matches. And when you are on blue red Phoenix, basically, as long as you kill their initial elf you're pretty much golden. Now, my version is for Ledger Shredder, for Arclight Phoenix, for Delver of Secrets. Hmm. And the Delver okay. of Secrets is entirely for the Mono Green matchup. That card is trash against just basically everything else with no days, no Brainstorm, no Force. You get it. Mm-hmm. But against Mono Green, once like if you can turn one flip and then turn two Ledger Shredder, yeah. like now we are talking. And really, they're only source of dealing because like unless they haven't ever gotten to it none of these mono green guys are playing ugin like big mana ugin Mm -hmm. so they can't really wipe your board 
So they just play Cavalier of Thorns, which once you get to a stage where you're ledger shreddering and all these things, like you just string together two burn spells and kill Cavalier of Thorns. Like, yes, they'll get the benefit or whatever, but to you, I mean, most of the time you're at that stage, they are either about to be dead or very dead once you kill their Cavalier of Thorns. But anyway, it is like a give me matchup. It's really alarming how good it is. Um, but Cameron, if we could just talk. You know, as soon as I bought that Explore Anthology pack, me and my boy, Reflector Mage, had to go out. <laughs> of course, yeah. Right? We had what to hit the town. Yeah. <laughs> so I built a version of Bant Company that also plays Eldrazi Displacer. Okay. Um, and look, I, I'm not trying to be like, I'm Mr. Old School Magic, but you do realize like Reflector Mage was a little bit longer ago than you might have thought. Because you use it and people don't seem to remember that, or like, even though there's a thing that stops them from casting it, they think something's wrong. And that's why they can't cast the creature. You see them hovering over the creature and all this, <laughs> and they can't cast it. It's like, dude, it's been Reflector Maged. But the Band Company deck is terrible against Mono Green. Okay. But against these other value grind them out or. I would say aggressive, like mono red, green red aggro decks. The band company deck is awesome. It is so much fun. And it's just value creatures. You're playing, you know, Reflector Mage. You can play Elite Spellbinder, Scavenging Oozed, uh, Luminarch Aspirant. You can play a couple of thoughts. You, you get it. It's the who's who. Yeah. You're notably missing Spell Queller, which makes some of your matchups a little bit more problematic. Um, but if you're in a creature mid-range thing, or again, like Mono Red, it's a ton of fun to like revisit that. And I just want to posit this to you. I think Pioneer has potential. I know it's become really cool to trash on Pioneer. <laughs> but I think Pioneer, maybe I'm just coming around to your opinion. Maybe this is what I'm not grokking. You're like, yes, Curtis, welcome. I've known this all along. That Pioneer has the potential to be the legacy replacement that we want. Mono Green Devotion is essentially Combo Elves. Blue Red Phoenix is essentially Blue Red Delver. Mm -hmm. Blue White is Blue White Control from that era, right? The Bant Company decks are essentially the Maverick or the Bant decks yeah. from Legacy, right? The, there is a Mono Red that is functions a lot like the Mono Red. Um, it's probably more like Goblins than Mono Red in Legacy, right? Like you're yeah. not burning to yeah. the face. Um, and then Lotus Field is your Storm Combo, right? So... You have these pillars that, like, can really, if, if you cherish them, Cameron, this is what I'm asking, okay? If we cherish them, if we develop the format, it can become something really special. And that really occurred to me with this because this is the first Explorer Anthology in a while. Then not only did I want to, like, build these pillars and, like, look up Lotus Field, and we're still a couple cards short, right, of Lotus mm -hmm. Field. Treasure Cruise, very notably missing from Phoenix, which I think would make that matchup for against Mono Holy Green cow. even better. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, there's just certain specific pieces that are missing that can totally get us there. But I was still building Eldrazi. Like, I was like, what does an Eldrazi deck look like? And, spoiler, it's not an Eldrazi aggro, which is what I tried to build. And that actually ends up being terrible because they're missing some of the pieces. Hmm. Um, but like an Eldrazi ramp deck is not crazy in this in Explore. 
right? And using Thought Not Seer as your bridge to get there, um, if you can put together the ramp, is really something. It's cool, right? And just like I did get to Eldrazi Displacer, a Thought Not Seer. Man, that's been yeah, that's been a minute. You know, that yeah, felt that's pretty been dang a- good. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting palpitations, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Uh, but to the point, yeah, going back to Reflector Mage, I did also have a moment where I untapped with like six mana Eldrazi Displacer and Reflector Mage, Ooh. and my opponent didn't scoop, and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so we went to town, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but no, I have I have really, really high hopes for this set. Um, and and it's... Honestly, it's the kind of magic it actually pulled me away from cube. Knowing that alchemy cards are in cube yeah, um, yeah. really kind of hurt that. But I kind of liked feeling like I was attacking a format. And the downside is, with Explorer Pioneer, I don't know what I'm working towards. There's not an SCG thing. There's not, you know, So that component yeah. is still missing. Um, but it made me want to go out and buy Ledger Shredders, which I think is a cool thing, man. So more of this, you know? Um, any other thoughts with your time with Explore, Cameron? No, I mean, I, I do want to just echo what you're saying about <coughs> Pioneer. Like, I've really kind of discovered that this fall, especially, just going to, like, these Monday night events, it's just, there's something there. It is good. Um, and the only thing that I, that I think is a bad thing right now is just the lack of support. Like you said, the lack of, like, What's this end goal? Where where am I heading with this format? Because it's great. There's a lot of good stuff there. Um, it just doesn't have the support from Wizards or, I mean, the shops seem to be doing something with it, but I don't know. Nothing beyond that. Yeah, and I do want to mention this with the regards to Nykthos because I think there was a lot of belly aching, like just last month, about why should Nykthos even come to Arena? They should probably just ban it. I think there is a little bit of a knee jerk because Mono Green Devotion essentially makes mid range soup decks useless, right? Like, yeah. if you're looking to play, and I love, uh, dude, Cameron, I love a Corsair Crucifix. You know that, right? But if you're playing a Corsair Crucifix deck, we're probably in the right, wrong spot, right? Because mm-hmm. Mono Green Devotion is just going to get you that mana a lot faster than anything else we're talking about. And it essentially functions like Tron, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And Tron, it just pulls all those things out of the format. And the truth of the matter is, when you have a non-rotating format, there's going to be so much of that pressure somehow that unless you really get ridiculous with banning things, like even if we get rid of Nykthos, Mono Green Devotion, Mono Green Ramp into these big things will still probably be a thing. Right. Yeah, there's so many other tools out there. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm not I just I don't know that I'm on the whole it's time to ban Nykthos thing. I just mm-hmm. I just think it's very I, I mean I, I know it sounds a little bit like trite to be like, maybe we could get a little bit more creative, but seriously, maybe we could get a little <laughs> bit more creative. <laughs> right? Sure. Uh all right. So other big piece of news. Uh we got a quick look at I always call it the new Phyrexian set, which is a little bit misleading because it is not new Phyrexian. Um, but there's some lore stuff, whatever. There's a couple of new cards. We're bringing back Phyrexian Obliterator. 
Okay. Okay. Um, which it's one of those cards that its original time and standard did a whole bunch of nothing. Right. So, um, I, I, I'll, how about you just do Elish Norn for us, Cameron, and we can discuss. Oh boy. Uh. Yeah, here we go. The Elish Norn, Mother of Machines. It costs four colorless and a white with vigilance. If a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities or permanents your opponents control to trigger. Um, permanent, permanent, permanent. And it's a power and toughness of trigger, force. Trigger, trigger. Trigger, trigger. Trigger, permanent, trigger. Permanent. permanent. <laughs> Um, so a cool card, I mean, like Elish Norn and I have really had a fraught relationship in the past. So, you know, uh, anyway, uh, this card specifically though, like interesting. I, I mean, I, right now I don't even know where this would fit in modern day standard. Uh, well it won't because you'll <laughs> just play black red something yeah or black something blue white black and your opponent will try to cast an elish norn and you won't care i get the real feeling that this is a commander card yeah more than it is a standard card um first of all i don't know how this works when i would assume nothing happens if we both have one in play yeah yeah (laughs) oh man uh, miss yeah, that I legendary think. rule, man. Really miss it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but where the other Elish Norn, even even the other Elish Norn in standard play was kind of like a reanimation target more than it was a, you know, finisher in any real way. I think it kind of just took off down the line. Uh, but this is kind of the key card, right? And once again, not to hop into the boat of negativity, but here we are. Um, I kind of look at a lot of these cards because, you know, there's this. I, I'll read Blue Sun's Twilight here in a while, but then they feature another legendary Phyrexian Goblin Artificer, right? And I'm like, what is what is the design here for standard, you know? And we've kind of reached this point where it feels like the sets themselves are at least half design. It's not a sprinkling for Commander. Mm-hmm. It is a lot for Commander, and that's not necessarily bad. But I do feel like, guys, we could get make cards that address both a little bit better. Can, can I go down the conspiracy rabble hole really quick? Yeah, Brian. I, I right. really do think that the sets that we're seeing right now are a symptom of alchemy. They thought, you know what? We don't have to put a lot of thought into the R&D of these sets because we'll just fix them two months after the fact when standard is solved because everybody's going to be playing alchemy and instead alchemy sucks and we have like these sets that just feel really um just unbalanced and like like you said like i just comparing this to like what we saw with like that dominaria set Gosh, I, I'm losing track of literally all the sets that are out right now. But at least that felt like I understand the color pies. I understand this is the magic that I, I know and love. Some of these things, man, it's just like I, I don't see the flavor of those colors anymore. 
so yeah and like to your point white having etb abilities trigger twice seems bizarre seems not very within the color pie i'm sure i'm gonna get somebody messaging <laughs> me saying actually curtis fine right but in the past this has been a thing that's been a like a green thing right mm -hmm. and elish norn I don't understand how making machines makes abilities trigger more often. It feels like if she's mother of machines, then she should make machines. <laughs> this is me. Mm -hmm. This is me maybe mm -hmm. taking it a little too literally. Um, <coughs> and you know what? Like, I liked Brothers War. Really liked Dominaria United. Sure. But I like them as limited sets. As constructed sets, I think there's a different evaluation that needs to happen. And... I, the whole experience of constructed standard feels completely uh, lost right now mm -hmm. and really is going to take some time for them to sort out. But yeah, to your point, like I, I don't, uh, these cards don't really fit anywhere and <laughs> it makes it kind of sad because like Elish Dorn in a limited sense seems like it's going to be quite good. Oh yeah. In this set, yeah. Right. So yeah, you open it in limited. It's a mythic, fantastic, goody gum drop. Like, uh, uh, like a five mana four seven vigilance. Half the time in some sets, I should say, is going to be reasonable. But the fact that it has all these abilities, like goody gum drops, right? Um, but what we're talking specifically about standard, and we're being told that sets are still being designed for standard. To your conspiracy theory point, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like it some days. <laughs> yeah. Really not passing the smell test, and that's kind of a bummer. So, anyway, to that end, next week we're going to go through the standard sets of the year and talk about which ones we liked, what we didn't like, what ones we could actually remember. It'll be a hoot, guys. Um, so, Cameron, let's get out of the segment, come back and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron, so... Banshees of Inishirin? Is that how, how you, you say it? You got it, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Banshees of Inishirin. New movie starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Uh, two Irish actors uh, that are in this film by Martin McDonough. And Martin McDonough is an Irish playwright. He did three billboards outside Missouri, whatever town it was. Um and one of my favorite movies, which was in Bruges, which came out like a decade ago, and it's dealing with like Irish gangsters who um, find a safe house in the in Bruges, uh, and it's just really well written, snappy dialogue. This is once again just a, a like it feels like a play. I'm watching a play just set to a beautiful Irish backdrop. Um, it's great. I thoroughly was impressed with this movie. It's uh, just well-written. The dialogue is just great. Colin and Brendan together, they've always had like a really good chemistry on screen, and it continues in this film. And I really didn't like the three billboards outside whatever Missouri town that Martin McDonough did. Um it's hard to write for the Midwest, I think, to find like the authenticity of the Midwest, similar to how I would struggle to write and find authenticity uh, for um, 
Ireland in the 1920s. This guy is just spot on in his homeland doing like the thing that he knows how to do so well. Um, it was just a, a, a joy to watch. And so I'm waxing poetic, but like this was a just a really well-made, well-done film. Um, got me excited just watching movies. So it seems like it's a tragedy? It's a tragedy, yeah. I would put it that way. You know, a sad, funny tragedy. There's there's some dark, dark, funny bits in it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Cameron. I made my daughter watch Gladiator this last week. Nice. So she had gotten to the part of her history curriculum where they were talking about the five good emperors and Marcus Aurelius and all that. It's like, okay, she's a sophomore. Let's watch Gladiator. What an interesting film to revisit, because I probably haven't seen it in 10, 12 years, something like that. It's on Netflix. And some of the elements of that movie have aged poorly, and some of them aged exceptionally well, (laughs) right? And it's kind of wild to see it all kind of in a blender like that, right? Because I don't know if you'll recall, but there's actually quite a bit of CG footage in this. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that it kind of really falls apart is, you know, they do these CG shots to like show you the whole of the Coliseum and everything. And in those days, it was very cutting edge. Um, and now it just looks like, oh, wow, they're copy pasting that crowd <laughs> over and over and over again. And it feels super artificial. Um, but what's really, really, first of all, the soundtrack mm is money like money but the other thing that like it's hard to it's hard to kind of quantify is things don't look like this anymore like the natural environmental stuff that they do in gladiator is super cinematic and because now everything is a tv show (laughs) or shot in the volume or whatever Mm -hmm. there's these moments that are really kind of like almost like tone like tone setters right mm-hmm. and there's just nothing that even remotely tries to look like that like there's this really you know kind of famous thing of like the hand going through the wheat which they reuse that motif over and over again and even that and it's like toned down blue and very dream sequency and stuff n- nothing does that anymore <laughs> right like there's yeah. nothing that is even remotely like that and ridley scott i think when he's at his best is doing a lot of like work inside of a vibe or a mood and it gives you the viewer the opportunity to kind of extract a lot on your own right without Mm -hmm, um being mm -hmm. told a lot directly blade runner especially is a lot of that right um but gladiator has those moments and um it's also super concise like it's this big epic Mm -hmm. and you watch it and it's like an hour and 48 minutes or something you're like Oh, wow. Jam <laughs> you know, that all in there. <laughs> you, could, you could tell a whole story, guys, in two hours. It's incredible. Um, so a, a very, a, a really good revisit. And I think, you know, there's there's kind of those those historical epic movies like Last of the Mohicans and Gladiator and Braveheart, of course. And I think maybe we got kind of like just bombarded with those to an extent where they felt artificial, but I think those three especially stand way, they do. yeah, way above and really have a feel that of like this blend of like modern, really high quality 
uh, writing and thought and like old school Hollywood epic. And they kind of meet in the middle. And now you like you don't have any of it, right? Like you're never going to yeah. get a historical epic. Listen, I mean, I would right now take a Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner, okay? That's how desperate <laughs> I am. <laughs> hey, man. You don't even you don't even want to talk to me about desperate. You man sitting through the most recent episode of Willow had me rethinking some things. Okay? Do you know they're using modern music in Willow, Ooh. Cameron? Mm. They clo- I'm not God, I wish I were kidding. They close out an episode with the cover of Inner Sandman. Oh my. Yeah. Like, <laughs> clearly these people did not watch Willow. They don't want to make Willow. <laughs> but if, you, if, you're, if you're of the mind of, I would like to not make Willow and do my own thing, like a CW type show with modern, like, pop punk uh re like covers of like 90 songs mm-hmm. i mean like inner sandman could not have less to do with the movie willow and i love metallica guys i love metallica okay mm-hmm. but that song was released what four years after willow something like that <laughs> reminds me of when um that last battle of aragon and Lord of the Rings, and they started playing Fleetwood Mac, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, the chain really sets a mood. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Cameron, <laughs> if someone would like to talk to you about... Sorry, I'm losing my... Covers of modern songs in trailers in tv shows in movies in games where could they find you it's all on twitter at cameron underscore mccoy and i'm at curtis now our official show feed is at spike feed mtg we'll check you guys next week